When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Venture X card from Capital One gives you premium travel benefits. Perfect for seeing Taylor Swift The Eras Tour. Presented by Capital One. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and ten times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. I never thought about space in my cramped apartment, but in this house, all I see is empty space. The sofa and ottoman look like tiny islands in a sea of hardwood floors. I could get two ottomans in the living room, but then I'd need another sofa. I could tell people I'm into minimalism. Anyway, when you save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto, that's the easy part of adjusting to the suburbs. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. The odds are when you're at a concert, you don't spend much time thinking about set lists. It's just part of the experience you're having. Clint and I are here to tell you the bands themselves spend a lot of time thinking about how to construct the set list. Yes. In fact, it's been the source of many an argument, maybe even many a fist fight, <laughs> as bands negotiate amongst themselves for what makes the best set list. In this episode, we examine what it takes to make a great one. Welcome to the age-old question. I'm Rich Price. And I'm Clint Bierman. This show is sort of like car talk meets... Behind the music. Ooh, Clint, I like that. Each episode deals with another question in music fandom. The kind of questions that Clint and I have been debating since we were in college. So today, with the help of some smart people, we're going to come up with the answer. Okay, Clint, what's today's question? Today's question is, how do you write a great set list? That's the age-old question. So one of the things that we're going to talk about is the difference between a band that does the same show every night and the band that writes a different set list every night. And I see the merits in both. I love bands that do both because there is something about the pop machine of a massive tour right. that rolls into a town, does the thing, a lot of dancing, a lot of fireworks, a lot of it's, this, that, it's and the other. It's more like a Broadway production totally. in that way or like, totally. a, or like a play. Right. Because there's so many cues, right? Like lighting cues or pyro. dancing pyro cues, yeah. So it has to be that way. But then, 
there's the band that does something different every single night because their fans come to every show. And that is the jam band scene. The Grateful Dead, Fish, Dave Matthews Band. And then there's like this middle ground of bands like Pearl Jam, which is definitely not a jam band. When you go see Pearl Jam, they play like 50 songs a night. It's amazing. They're all three and a half, four minutes long, but they change the set list every night. Hmm. Clint, I googled how to write a set list. <laughs> Not surprisingly, there is a lot of advice and strong opinions on this topic. Huh. There's literally hundreds of blog posts and articles on this topic. So, randomly, I selected one called how to write a great set list by someone named John Fellows. His rules go like this. Number one, begin with a bang. Number two, have the energy of your songs form an arc. Number three, leave room for improvisation. Number four, ensure that your set list flows. And number five, end with a showstopper. This was literally 30 seconds into researching this episode. I was like, I'm done. Done. John Fellows. Done. Thanks, John. Whoever he is, <laughs> nil. Yeah. I have nothing to add. Right. <laughs> but of course, that wouldn't make for a good episode. It's so much deeper. It's it is so much such deeper. a science. And it's so dependent on your band, your genre, right? Like, yes. the, let's talk about The Sweet Remains for a second. First yes. of all, The Sweet Remains has three songwriters. So when writing a set list for The Sweet Remains, you can't do all Richie songs. Yeah. Can't do all Brian songs. You can't do all Greg songs. You got it. Split it up in a way. Not only does it flow like an arc, like John said, it's got to have a, a story arc for the set, but it also has to feature equally all three lead singers. Way down in the deep Between the broken silence and dreaming Calling to get you back Yes. Which can be a challenge, right? Well, and for us, we have the benefit of having three lead vocalists. Right. And so, you know, like, you know what, I'm, I'm just not, I don't have it tonight. Yeah. Let's, let's feature you guys more than me. Sure. Which is really nice. Um, having been a front man of a band where I had to sing oh, all the, 20 songs the myself. pressure. Yeah. And then do it night in, night out. Yeah. Rise and fall, Well, part of it, too, is like, where does the banter go? Where does the banter go? Where does the banter go? And, you know, some people think, well, this song's in F, so the next song shouldn't be in E, or whatever. Right. There's some science to the key of a song. Yes. Tempo and the length. Is this a ballad next to a rocker? Is that going to feel like herky-jerky? Right. It's such a science. Think about bands like Fish, who remember when they played Thirteen Nights, the the Baker's Dozen oh at Madison Square Garden. They did not repeat a right. song in thirteen shows. Right, two hundred and thirty-seven songs or something like I mean, that. That's incredible. That is incredible. And at a high level, right? Complex songs, totally. Like very complex and covers that they'd never done or hadn't done in years or years. Right. That's another piece of the setlist puzzle. Like how long it's been since a certain song.
the Grateful Dead is the most iconic touring band of all time. Yeah. Would you agree? Yes. We have an whole entire episode about why, why? they're... Yeah. Why they're... What's the deal? What's the deal? <laughs> so the deal is, there's two lead singers in that band. Yep. And they know 500 songs. So how did they do it? I'd be interested to know who wrote the set list for the Grateful Dead. And I don't know if there were set lists. I think they were around for so long that they probably went through eras where... There were set lists, and then there were eras where there weren't set lists. From my understanding is they would choose the first song and the last song of the set, and then trade vocals between Jerry and Bobby for the first set, and they would just call it out. But that was like between 1972 and 19... You know, like, I don't know the exact dates, but like... Then in the 90s, I do know that they did have set lists. As soon as they got Vince Welnick in the band, they had to have set lists because they had 500 songs. This guy's got two weeks to learn the entire catalog. So they're like, all right, this night we're playing this, this, this. So he he would know. Well, also, I know that Jerry had teleprompter. Definitely. You need to be loaded up. Loaded up. Somebody's got to load that. Right, exactly. All right, Clint. Any regular listener of this podcast knows... We are what you might call Beatles fans. Hmm. And though the Beatles rocketed into the world's consciousness during a period in 1963 and 1964 called Beatlemania, they had been tirelessly honing their craft as performers in places like Liverpool's Cavern Club and during the band's time in Hamburg, Germany, where they would play like 10 hours a day. Yeah. All day. All day. All week. Like every day. Yeah. Rather than start there, I want to look at their last official show. I say official because they actually played a show in January of 1969 on top of the building they owned in London's Savile Row. Some of those performances would be featured in the Let It Be album. But three years earlier, really at the height of their powers, the Fab Four decided they were done touring. The audiences were screaming so loudly, John, Paul, George, and Ringo couldn't even hear themselves. Here they are talking about why they stopped. We were getting a bit fed up anyway, just because we'd been at it so long, and it gets grueling. No longer fun anymore. We might have been waxworks for all the good we did there. You know, nobody heard anything. Four years for us of legging around, you know, screaming in this mania. We were getting worse and worse as a band while all those people were screaming. It was lovely that they liked us, but we couldn't hear to play. So the only place we could develop was in the studio. So their last official show was August 29th, 1966, at Candlestick Park in San Francisco. It's where the San Francisco Giants played at that time. The Beatles had pioneered this concept of playing in sports venues. Okay, here's the set list. Okay, give it to me. First, opening with a Chuck Berry cover, rock and roll music, with John Lennon on vocal. Yep. Second, Paul's tune, She's a Woman. 
third, George's track from the fairly recently released Rubber Soul album, If I Needed Someone. Ooh. Thank you. Thank you very much, everybody. And hello. We'd like to carry on with a song. Not surprisingly. Bye. Uh, written by George and recorded by me. And this song was on. Uh, Fourth, Day Tripper. Okay. This one's about the naughty lady called Day Tripper. Fifth, Babies in Black. Huh. Sixth, I Feel Fine. Okay. Seventh, Yesterday. Just Paul. Just Paul. Everybody else left the stage. So slowing down the momentum here for an intimate moment with Paul. Eighth, Ringo singing lead on I Want to Be Your Man. Okay, finally, get some Ringo in there. It's called I Want to Be Your Man to sing it. Ninth, again from the recently released Rubber Soul, Nowhere Man. Okay. With John. John. Tenth, Paperback Writer. And then the set closer, another cover, Long Tall Sally. Interesting. So, finishing with a bang and bookending with covers. What a concept. The Beatles set list lasted 30 minutes. Unbelievable. Through the 19 performances that summer. The sole difference on any given night was whether the closing number would be Long Tall Sally, as it was at Candlestick, or John's tune, I'm Down, which it was earlier in the month in Detroit and Chicago and a couple other places. Though Revolver had come out, they didn't play any songs from that. That's the other thing, Clint, that we were talking about, was when can bands play their new stuff? Right. And here they just released a, an album that many would call one of the great albums of all time. And they didn't play a single track. And they play a song. A few more stats on this last Beatles concert. They played to 25,000 fans. The Beatles were paid a $50,000 performance fee. They took the stage at 927 <laughs> They played their 11 songs in 30 minutes. That's about 2 minutes, 40 seconds per song. (laughs) That's incredible. The Night Before, which is also the name of a great Beatles song. We said our goodbye. 
night before they played Candlestick, they played Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles. Flash forward 53 years to July 2019. That's the last official Paul McCartney show in the United States. Dodger Stadium. Okay. Headlining Dodger Stadium 53 years apart. That's incredible. It's incredible. Unlike the Beatles that played 11 songs, on this night in the summer of 2019, Paul and his band played 38 songs in three hours. Wow. 23 of those songs were from the Beatles catalog. But this fascinates me. How Paul McCartney chooses those 38 songs. After writing hundreds I mean, and hundreds of songs. My band, The Sweet Remains, when we're making a set list and we leave off some songs that we think are fan favorites or, or should be in the set, one of us says, ah, too many hits. Too many hits, baby. Paul McCartney literally has too, too many, many hits. hits. <laughs> All right. Opening number that night, Dodger Stadium yeah. in 2019. A Hard Day's Night. Oh, my God. That first chord. Second song, a tune from his Wings Days, Junior's Farm. Third song, Can't Buy Me Love. Oh, my Lord. Sixth song, Got to Get You Into My Life with a horn section. He keeps rocking with songs like I've Got a Feeling, Maybe I'm Amazed. And then he does a solo acoustic set with songs like I've Just Seen a Face, Blackbird, then... More rocking when the band comes back out to play Lady Madonna, Eleanor Rigby, being for the benefit of Mr. Kite. Okay, we're 25 songs into a 38-song set. <laughs> Still left to play is a version of George's song, Something. Something in the way she moves Attract me like no other lover Something. Oh, wow. Then, Oh Bloody Oh Blood Ah, Band on the Run, Back in the USSR. Oh, my God. Let it be, live and let die, and the closing number, Hey Jude. Hey Jude, don't make it bad. But he's still got an encore, so he comes out for birthday. Then he invites a surprise guest on stage, Ringo, to play Sgt. Peppers oh. and Helter Skelter, the first time they've ever played this song live together. And then Golden slumbers into Carry That Weight into the end when he calls up Joe Walsh from the Eagles to play the guitar solo section with him. Mic drop. Oh, my God. That's the other thing is like when you've got a guest. Right. When do you bring him up? Right. Do you bring him up? You know, he didn't bring Ringo up until the encore. That's crazy. Right. Three hours, two hours and 45 right. minutes into the set. But he doesn't have to keep people there. Right. Right. Like, I think the guest is a reason to keep people engaged right right that's why you're bringing it partly for you you want to do your thing but it's also like a, a a twist for the audience they're like oh it's cool something else something new yes but paul doesn't need to do that because i mean that set list is ridiculous it's ridiculous but there's also like 50 songs that he could have played and songs i didn't include in my sure. breakdown some of his new songs okay some of the new songs that he feels as an artist that he has to play sure and any person who's written a song Loves the song they just wrote. Right. The most recent song is the best song you've ever written. Yes. Right. And, you know, as I mentioned, 23 of these 38 songs were songs that came from 50 years earlier. Unbelievable. That's interesting. 
Okay. Yeah. I saw Huey Lewis in the News okay. in Montreal, Jazz Fest, 2017. Mm-hmm. Huey Lewis, I mean, we've talked about it many times on this podcast, has an incredible catalog of music. And the amount of hits you forget yeah. until you go see him live. Right. And you're like, holy moly. Here's another It's one. just like a jab. Right. A jab. A cross. A jab. Yeah. Like, it just keeps hitting it. New York, New York, is everything they say. And then at one point, I don't know, 10 songs in, he's like, okay, we're going to play a new song. Just sit there for a second. Let us play a new song. I'll tell you what, we're going to do a song now that's not uh, 30 years old. In fact, it's more like 30 days old. This is a brand new song. And I know that's a little bit risky, but you seem like a friendly audience. And if you want to make the band feel good, just pretend like you really love this new one. Like he made it a joke. He like made it like a whole thing. It's like people were there for the legacy. They were there to hear the hits. And he knows that. And he knows that. And he knows they know that. Exactly. And so he leaned into it. He's like, just sit there for a yeah, second. Just, just let us do this. This is like our favorite part of the night. Just right. let us do our thing. This is our three minutes and 35 All seconds. Right. Does it? Woohoo! Then like... Well, more hits. Yeah. yeah. And then the show's over. And yeah. you know every word. I like that. So do I. Because when you don't know the song, let's face it, when you see a band and you don't know the song, it's not as exciting as when you know the song. Yeah. So when people talk about the Beatles, Clint, what's the other band that they often talk about? The Stones. The Rolling Stones. And while McCartney is still out there playing, 53 years later, the Stones are still playing as a band. Oh, rest in peace, Charlie Watts. You lost a good one. What a legend. Hey, Rich, what if we did an episode about drummers and the role they play in a band and how they make a good band, a great band? Pretty critical. Yeah. I mean, maybe it could be next week's episode. Anyway, back to how the Stones approach set lists. All right, Clint, talk about too many hits. The process of writing their set list falls to one man, Chuck Lavelle. Huh. He's been the keyboard player on the Stones tours since 1982. Amazing to think, almost 40 years later, he's still kind of the new guy. The new guy. Lavelle has been the music director for the band, too, which means he's in charge of orchestrating rehearsals, any of the other musicians, backing vocalists that join the touring band. But he's also the guy who writes the set list every night. So the Stones generally play a 23-song set. By the way, McCartney is just getting warm when he reaches his 23rd song. That's true. Man. But anyway... Chuck Lavelle's job is to sift through the 400-plus songs in the catalog. He comes up with a list of songs they should rehearse and have ready. On any given tour, they rehearse 80 songs that can be plugged into a 23-song set. Since he's been doing it for decades, he has this database of past shows. And before every show, he proposes a set list to Mick Jagger, making sure they don't repeat songs or a lot of songs from the last time they played in that particular city. Lavelle tries to sneak in some deep cuts, but Jagger generally pulls him back to just the hits. Jagger prefers the rocking tunes to the mellower ones. He's also the mediator between Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. Jagger wants to drive the tempo, and Richards wants to pull the tempo back. Huh. 
Ronnie Wood, the second guitarist in the band, who joined the band in 1975, has said this about the setlist. Whatever the song selection, the running order follows the same rules every night. Open explosively. Then you play for maybe half an hour before you take your foot off the gas. But don't ease up for too long, maybe a song or two. But then you put it back on and gradually build. Then give Keith his two songs that he sings somewhere in the set, which, according to Wood, gives Jagger a chance for a breather and to change his trousers. <laughs> Tear me apart. Including his own heart That is true Never ever let you down And then a few more rockers like Miss You and Start Me Up before closing with Brown Sugar. The encores, Gimme Shelter, and I Can't Get No Satisfaction. I mean, are you kidding? What's a live performance, a live show that you've seen that you've noticed, like, wow, the way they constructed that was masterful. Masterful. So I'm a dad, like you're a dad. So I have kids in the backseat of my car, and my kids happen to love Maroon 5. Mm -hmm. So as a surprise birthday present for my son Ty, I took him to go see Maroon 5 at the Boston Garden. And I listen to a lot of Maroon 5 because they love Maroon 5. So I know every song and totally differently, obviously, than the Stones or the Beatles, but they got a lot of hits. Yes. Like I know every song they played. Right. And I was impressed with their set list. And I'm sure they're doing the same set every night. Has to be. I think we should call my bandmate Brian because it's generally my job in the band to write the set list, which is kind of a joke because then I present it to Greg and to Brian and they have all kinds of changes. Let's call Brian. All right. Oh my. Oh my. Tonight's question is, how do you write a great set list? And I was just saying that you and I frequently come at this from different angles. Correct. <laughs> so how? How is it different? For a band like The Sweet Remains, I think it is important to put set lists together, create some variety, different people introducing songs. So You have a phrase that you use to describe <laughs> your ideal set. Breasts. Right. Okay, talk us through, <laughs> explain the concept of breasts. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm just talking in reference to The Sweet Remains here. I want the set to start with just the three voices, very minimal instrumentation. And then I want there to be kind of an apex. So in the middle of that first set, it, it kind of goes up drastically and it comes down. And so that is, let's call that the left breast. And then <laughs> the second set, uh, the second set starts the same way. Typically we'll come out and do something in front of the condenser mic. We'll do two, three songs. And then again, you bring the energy up, you know, bass and drums come out. And now it's a bit more of a, of a rock and roll show, which I know Richie loves. And then we kind of taper it at the end and we leave them with 
that same essence of what the band is. That's how I would build the set list if Rich and Greg actually let me do that. That would be my approach. Breasts. Check. <laughs> this is our brother from another mother, Brian Chartran. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate you guys. We'll see you soon. Bye. You and I'll pack up your things. If I said I loved you, it even change a thing. What I mean to say Please don't leave me this way The major points of how to write a great set list are this. There's tempo. Open with a bang. You do your slow song in the middle so that you can come. I like the half pipe approach. Yeah. Uh, rather than the breasts approach. Yeah. I'm, so, a, I'm a half pipe. I'm a half pipe. I want, a, I want the lull to be in the middle. One song. So what about like you 2 when they go in that middle and they play that acoustic set? Yep. I mean, that's, they're great. <laughs> they're great I mean, songs. That's, I mean, that's you 2 That's you 2 and, and that works for you too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So there's so, tempo. Key. Key. And with key comes transitions between songs. Yes. So I use key only as a way to get from a song into another song. Yeah. Personally, I don't care that four songs are in A in a row. Yeah. It doesn't bother me. Yep. I don't notice it when I go see other bands. Yep. And I have pretty decent pitch recognition. It, it doesn't... That's it an doesn't, understatement. It doesn't throw me off that Old Crow Medicine Show played five songs in G in a row. Right. I bet they do. I bet they do, too, because <laughs> there's a lot of banjo in that band. So the key thing is done as a transitional tool. So tempo, key, switching instruments, vocal, who's singing what, and really... Ending the show with a bang. I agree with all that. And one of the golden rules is don't open with a cover. And yet the Beatles opened with a cover and closed with a cover. It's, I mean, I guess it was a different time. It was a different time, but they wrote all the rules. Right. So why is that not the rule, right? Like they wrote all the rules of pop music. And I will say sometimes my band does open with a cover. Yeah. Rarely, but sometimes. And when we do... It works. It works. <laughs> right. It works because generally if it's a cover we're playing, it puts me in a great headspace. Mm -hmm. So it's not just, the set list isn't just for the audience. Sure. It's for the band sure. as well. All right, Clint. I think we should call our old buddy Jeff Simons. Oh, of course we should. When he and I were in a band touring in the early 2000s, it was Jeff who wrote our set list. And he was scientific about it. Okay. So he's going to have some thoughts. Oh, definitely. All right. <laughs> Hello. Jeff, you've got Rich and Clint. Hey, Jeff. How are you? We are doing well, and we're talking this week about how to write a great set list. It is crucial. It is crucial. Like, a, a great show can be ruined by a, a poorly designed set list. The first three songs and the last three songs really, really matter. Okay. Like, you have to know how long you have. Like, if you're playing, like, a 45-minute opening set to a cold audience that doesn't know you... You have to come out blazing. Your three best up-tempo songs, or, or, or three of your four best up-tempo songs, just out of the gate, bang, bang, bang. You just have to come out and let them know you're good and tell them they're, they're going to have a good time and they can relax and they're not going to be bored by the opening band. Hmm. If you're the headliner, you can start with something that's a challenge. You can start with something longer or something that like stretches the audience. But then in, tr in song two, you have to give them the goods. You have to... like. Let them know, like, okay, we did that weird thing together, and now we'll start the party. What's your point of view on covers? Because this is a source of great disagreement. You know, my bandmates in The Sweet Remains are like, look, 
we're three songwriters. We have lots of songs. You know, we should be playing our original songs. And my feeling is when the audience doesn't know us, to hear a song or two in our set that they're like, oh, they're doing Come Together. I know this song. Oh, and they're doing it in a way that's really interesting and unique. For me as an audience member, I know I lean into the performance when I experience that. I'm of two minds of this. I don't mind cover. I think if you're you're doing a 45-minute set, you get one cover. One cover. Right. You get one. And, and what you should do is pick you should pick a cover that points the audience to your one of your big influences. Like you should you're teaching the audience how to understand your band. The artist that the five of us all uniformly agree was a seminal artist in our lives. What's the coolest song we can do by that artist? That's what we're doing. In a 90-minute set, I think you can you can get away with two. Um, especially if you save one for the encore, and if you've got a ninety-minute set and you come out and do an encore cover, then you can do a you can do one that everybody knows. And I don't even think you need to do it that differently. It could be like, "Hey, you hung with us while we did seventy-five minutes of art. Now let's have a party. Here's a cover." And then you do your best song and you walk away before they get bored. You know. What is a set that you remember from a band that you love, whether it's The Who or Pearl Jam or? or or Wilco or any of these or Tom Petty, any of these bands that you really love that just constructed the perfect set in your view. Oh, that's great. I think Wilco puts a great night of music together. Like they come, they usually do seven or eight songs before Tweety even says anything. Like they come out and just bang, 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 all up tempo. sweaty and then jeff will be like how's everybody doing and then they slow the show down they do something a little weirder and longer and then he starts to tell stories and he's very funny and he start the whole second 40 minutes it, there's a whole different kind of outreach i like to rest my heavy head tonight on a bed california stars I got a question for you. What if your big hit is a slow song? Where do you put that in the set list? So everyone's going to know it? Yep, everybody knows it. You're famous for this mid-to-down-tempo song that was a radio hit. You can't, it can't be the last song of the night. So no, where do you put either, it? Either, either next to last or if you're the headliner, first encore. First encore. I like that. Like, I would make people wait for it, right? If there's one song everybody's basically waiting for you to play, then you want to play it near the end of the set anyway. And if it's a slow song, I, you can't, you're right, you can't close. No. But you could do next to last. Yep. Right? Long December, there's reason to believe. Maybe this year will be better than the last. The other challenge for bands, and, and certainly. Jeff, you and I experienced this when we were touring together is having the discipline to stay on the songs that you should be playing. Like you should <laughs> you should be playing the songs that are on your record or are in records that people know. 
you know, for us, we were writing songs on the tour and we were so excited about them. And we we're like, let's put that in tonight's set. Right. Yep. But it wasn't probably the right decision for our audience. Right. If you're a band like we were, right? Like we have a record and we're learning how to be a great band, right? So we're on the road playing 25 nights in a month and we basically are going to get 45 minutes a night. I think it's really smart to have two audible spots. Like you're basically going to play 10 songs, right? So you should know the first three and the last three every night. So at the end of 25 nights, you sound like a well-oiled machine. But then I think for your own sanity, like maybe songs four and seven rotate in and out. Like, and maybe one's a cover. And maybe you have two or three great covers that you do every other night just so something's fresh for you. Right. right? Cause there is, it is true that a, a great set is incredibly confident and incredibly slick. And you can't do that unless you do it 10, 11, 12 times in a row, but you also, you'll go crazy, like drive 500 miles and sleep five hours and go up on stage and blow all your, all your adrenaline in 40 minutes doing the exact same thing. And then it's 23 and a half hours before you can do it again. Like you do need, you need something to keep the, to keep you alert. Well, we talked a couple weeks ago about how Led Zeppelin played Stairway to Heaven for the first time. It was in Belfast. And John Paul Jones talks about how the audience was just bored to tears. And, you know, they didn't care that they were listening to a song that would ultimately become like <laughs> the greatest, the song, greatest in song in rock history. Uh, they were, it was just like, it was new to them. They're like, come on, play, yeah. play the stuff we know. Play, it, play your good yeah. songs. It's just a great reminder that, you know, not every song emerges from the womb like a million seller. It takes it takes almost even the greatest songs a minute to catch on. Right. Yeah. Well, Jeff, we love having you on the age old question. We always do. It's been and, too long. It's, and, uh, it's great to talk to you guys. And I Thank should you. we should tell our listeners that 50 Years of Music with 50 Year Old White Guys is back for season two. Now, instead of doing your favorite song of each year that you've been alive, you're doing your favorite album. We love having you on this show. Well, you know, it's a mutual admiration society. You guys are, uh, you guys are just killing it. Well, I keep uh, telling Tim that we'll, we'll know we've arrived when we're like have one tenth the production value of this show. So, <laughs> thanks, guys. Thank right, you, Jeff. Everybody, right, talk to you soon. You do well. Talk soon. Bye bye. So, did <laughs> we do? I think we did. This really is one of the most fun things I've ever done. Yeah. I love doing this with you. Me thank too. you so much. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone listening. We really do enjoy doing it and we love hearing from you. We hope you had a great time, as much fun as us, and we hope you'll join us next time when we answer another age old question. Follow us on Instagram at The Age Old Question. Facebook, The Age Old Question. We hope this conversation has sparked some ideas and thoughts of your own. Let us know in the comments. But let's be kind, people. Yeah. No hating. No hating. Venture X from Capital One is the travel card for people always asking, Where next? You earn 10x miles on hotels and rental cars and 5x miles on flights booked through Capital One Travel and 2x miles on everything else you buy with VentureX. Plus, receive premium travel benefits like access to over 1,300 airport lounges. 
the Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. You used to associate crickets with silence. But since you bought a house in the suburbs, you know crickets hate silence. If any other creature realized rubbing its legs together made a piercing high-pitched noise, they might think, maybe I won't do that. Constantly. All night long. Luckily, you can save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto. Now that's something to make noise about. Just not constantly. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com. Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.